Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Molly Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Also, thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. Hi, everybody! In this week's episode of Molly Full Answers, we're going to tackle five money myths with the help of Mari Backman. She is a writer for Fool.com. I'm also going to share your advice that you sent in for moving and buying and selling a home. All that and more on this week's episode of Molly Full Answers. Hey, bro, what's up? <laughs> well, Allison, as I did last week, I'm going to highlight three news items this time, plus one weird fun fact, although this one is more weird and maybe a little sad. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Sad facts with Robert Brokamp. Got Let's that go. to look forward to. Here we go. Number one, the IRS announces the retirement account contribution limits for 2019. So in our October 17th episode, when we had Megan Brinsfield, one of our foolish CPAs here on, we had mentioned that a few experts were predicting that retirement limits would go up next year. Well, on November 1st, the IRS made it official. So the contribution limit to IRAs will go up for the first time in six years, increasing from $5,500 a year to $6,000. And then the so-called catch-up contribution for workers 15 and older will remain at $1,000. So for 401ks, 403bs, most types of 457s, and the federal thrift savings plan, that limit will also go up. That's going up $500 to a total of $19,000. And the 15 and older catch-up contribution remains at $6,000. And a note to all my fellow babies of 1969, like me, who will be turning 50 next year, you don't have to wait until you turn 50. You can start on January 1st. You just have to be 50 by December 31st to be putting in that extra money into your retirement accounts. Um, Also next year, the income limits that determine whether you can contribute to a Roth are going up. So they're going up $2,000 for individuals, $4,000 for those who are married and filing jointly. So now, while higher contribution limits are a good thing, it's important to remember that they have nothing to do with how much you should personally be saving for your retirement. A lot of people anchor on these and they're like, well, if I can put that much in my IRA, I'll do that and I must be doing enough. That may not be the case. So regardless of the contribution limits, get either a high-quality retirement calculator or go see a qualified financial planner to find out make sure you're saving enough for retirement. Item number two. Morningstar releases its latest ratings on 529 college savings plans. Come on, Virginia. Come on, Virginia. Come on, Virginia. Okay, you wait. So, using a process that that rates plans according to five pillars, process, people, parent, price, and performance, Morningstar awards each plan with an Olympic-style medal or a neutral rating or a negative rating. So, of the 62 plans that they evaluated, only four took home the gold. Illinois, Virginia, Nevada, and Utah. Now, I should say that those are particular plans. Many states have multiple plans. So um, it's the Bright Star College Savings for Illinois, Invest 529 for Virginia, Vanguard 529 for Nevada, and My 529 for Utah. Nine plans were awarded silver medals, medals, 18 bronze. So about half won a medal. Most got neutral ratings. Five got negative ratings. it's important to remember that you don't have to participate in your own state's plan. 
Come to Virginia. <laughs> you can come to it's Virginia. It's for lovers <laughs> of 529s. That's right. Now, you might get a benefit by, by participating in your own state's plan, often in the form of a deduction on the state income tax return. But for most people, that's not a good enough benefit to outweigh being part of a lousy plan. So go read the Morningstar Report and also go visit savingforcollege.com, which is also a great resource. All, both of those will rate your state's plan. You can evaluate whether you should stick with your state or maybe move to another state. And number three, the majority of Americans don't feel they're benefiting from the strong economy. So leading up to the midterm elections, Bankrate did a survey and asked people if they felt like they were doing better since the election of Donald Trump. Only 38% of people thought that they were doing better. 45% said they're about the same, and the rest said that they were doing worse. As you could expect, politics played a part of this. So 60% of Republicans thought they were doing better since Donald Trump was elected president. Only 29% of Democrats believe that they're doing better. There's definitely some evidence for people maybe not, despite the strong economy, maybe not feeling like they're doing all that much better. Wages are have begun moving up, but so has inflation. So uh, while you're getting paid more, you're also spending more on various things. Also, the tax cuts were not evenly distributed. In fact, some people will hear about this new tax cut law, but in fact, they're actually ending up paying more in taxes. But what was most fascinating to me is that politics played a part in this. Because there is a bottom line answer to this. You're either doing better or you are not. So Hopefully, if you don't really know whether you're doing it or not, figure it out. Either use something like Mint, Personal Capital, create your own spreadsheet or something. Because it is important to know how your finances are doing and whether they're getting better or not. And then finally, the fun slash weird fact, and it comes straight from a headline of Bloomberg Businessweek, crash test dummies are getting fatter because we are too. <laughs> this is, it was actually a long, fascinating article about a company called hum, Humanetics Innovative Solutions that makes crash test dummies. Um, it turns out they're pretty pricey. They range in price from $250,000 each to a million dollars. What? Yeah. And the article went into like the history of testing. Like So back in the, like, the 50s, they would have to use cadavers or like hogs and things oh. like that. Some people they they started to use like live human test subjects until like their their <laughs> their blood vessels would burst in their eyes and stuff like that. It's a fascinating article. <laughs> but the point being, back in the day, they, they would make what would be like the size of a typical man, which is five foot nine and one hundred and seventy two pounds. Now the typical man is two hundred pounds, so they have wow. to make bigger crash test dummies. And this relatedly uh, comes on the heels of another report from. Uh, Science Mag, which surprisingly is a science magazine, which highlighted a report that put a dollar figure on the cost to the U.S. economy of excess weight. That figure, more than $1.7 trillion, according to the Milken Institute. So in previous episodes, we have discussed the evidence that healthier people actually are wealthier. So fools, take care of yourselves, eat right, and exercise regularly, and your bottom line will be better off because of it. Bottom line and waistline. That's right. Why haven't we made that pun already? 
Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. 70% of the U.S. workforce is on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn considers skills, experience, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, even yours and mine. Head to linkedin.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Motley Fool Answers also comes from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. This isn't some one-size-fits-all software. With industry-specific support for a broad range of businesses, NetSuite works the way your business works. Motley Fool podcast listeners can get their free guide titled Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth. You'll learn how to acquire new customers, increase profits, and finally get real visibility into your cash flow. You can get this free guide at netsuite.com slash fool. Hey, we have a special guest in the studio today. It's Mari Backman, and she is a writer for Fool.com. She's a great writer for Fool.com, hey, one, in fact. Perhaps one of my favorite writers for Aww, Fool.com. You're too kind. Yeah. she. So I often get reporters contacting me saying they saw your article or you get quoted. And so it's really great to actually meet you because we've exchanged a lot of emails. Yes, we have. So it's so great to meet you in person. Thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me. You are here for the Fool.com Writers Conference. Um, can you tell us maybe just a little bit about your story and how you became to be a writer for Fool.com? You know, it's funny. I was writing for a lot of different um, personal finance sites, and I was on the job boards one day, and I saw an application for a contract writer or for a freelancer for Fool.com, and I said, you know what? I'm going to apply. And it was this gauntlet of an application. You had to submit samples. You had to answer a million questions ranging from what's your favorite personal finance tip to what are your biggest pet peeves in life? And I'm like, oh, I have so many of these. <laughs> if I'm honest, this could go very poorly or very well, depending on the people reading my answers. And yeah. somehow they didn't think I was too weird, and they gave me a shot. And fast forward to today, and we're, we're rocking it. Oh, I feel like that should be a motto of Motley Fool hiring. We didn't think you were too weird. Right. <laughs> Motley Fool, you can never be too weird. Right? Yeah. So you've actually joined us today to share five retirement myths that you are on a crusade to debunk. Yes, we're going to do some serious debunking today, let's, folks. Okay, let's, let's, let's get to let's get to it. The first one is that your daily lattes will kill your retirement. Right. So, one of my um, one of my favorite things is when I'm talking to people and they say, "Oh, you know, I'm spending 3 bucks a day at Starbucks. I really shouldn't because if I put that money aside instead, I could retire on it." And my answer is no. Sorry. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry. 15 bucks a week, 16 $60 a month, you know. No. So this is my take on retirement. If you're smart about saving for retirement, life's little luxuries will not get in your way from meeting your goals. So this is what I do personally. I've got a certain amount that I set aside for retirement. It's a I aim for at least 20% of my earnings just because I know that with the way inflation is going, I'm going to need some serious cash when I'm older, especially if like if I have health issues and all that stuff, you know. So, I basically put that aside from the start. 
And then, frankly, I don't worry about the little purchases because, hey, they're what get me through my day. My morning coffee, you do not want to see me without my morning coffee. <laughs> it's an investment <laughs> in a happy it's, family. It's an investment in my ability to work and function as a human, and that's the case for a lot of people. So I always say, you know, whether it's your coffee or, you know, the fact that you love buying lunch or ordering takeout, you know, those little things aren't going to stop you from retiring if you have an overarching goal of saving for retirement and you're actually committing to it. So the easiest thing to do, right, if you work for a company that has a 401k, just allocate enough of your paycheck to automatically land in your 401k before you even touch it, before you even see that money. Pay yourself first. Right. Pay, pay your future self first. Exactly. <laughs> pay your old and gray self first. And then, yeah, buy your coffee, you know? Yeah, it's basically goals-based budgeting, right? As long as you, you figure out, okay, this is what I need for college, for retirement, if I want to buy a house. If I set that all aside and get that out of my bank account, whatever's left over, I can spend however I want. Exactly. I mean, as long as you, you know, obviously you have to keep in mind the the bills that are going to come up. You know, you've got your cable bill due at the end of the month. So, you know, don't overspend on coffee and then you're going to owe cable vision. Like you're going to be in the red and like you're going to have to pay interest on that silly bill. But yeah, exactly. Um, that's why I'm a big fan of automating your savings because that way it's like you said, you get it out of the way and then you don't have to worry about those little purchases. Now let's move on to the second myth. Your expenses will go down in retirement. Right. So a lot of people think that, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retire, and instead of spending what I'm spending today, my expenses are going to get cut in half. And in fact, I have a relative who's close to retirement who said this to me recently. He said, yeah, I think I'll probably spend about half as much in retirement as I am now. And I said, why? He's like, well, you know, I, w- I won't be commuting. I won't be paying for dry cleaning. I said, okay. I said, well, what are you paying now to commute to work and to dry clean your suits? A couple hundred bucks a month? He's like, yeah. I said, so does that represent 50% of your, <laughs> of your of your spending? And he's like, oh, yeah, no. So, so the thing about retirement is that, you know, yes, you'll kill a couple of costs, right? You'll kill your commuting costs and maybe some other incidentals that we all incur by having an office job to go to. I wouldn't know something about that, but you guys who actually report to an office every day probably know a little more than I do. Um, but Generally speaking, I like to tell people that you'll probably need about 70 to 80% of your former paycheck, so to speak, to cover your expenses in retirement, because most of them are actually probably going to stay the same. You might even have some that go up, like healthcare or like entertainment, because when you think about it, you're not working, you don't have a job to go to, you're not going to just sit in your house all day. So that's the rule that I like to follow. The only thing that's really going to go away, the only major expense, is your retirement plan contributions, because obviously you're not saving for retirement when you're in retirement. But when you think about the things that you're spending money on right now, there's really no reason to think that they're going to drastically drop just because you're a little bit older and not reporting into an office. Right, unless you're going to make major life decisions like moving, downsizing, moving someplace cheaper, that kind of thing. And I've I've heard people say that, you know, well, what about your mortgage because you might pay it off, you know, in time for retirement? And my answer to that is you might. But keep in mind that if you're hanging on to an older home, as that home ages, your maintenance and repair costs are going to go up. They might go up enough to offset that mortgage payment, especially if it was on the lower side. And property taxes also have a tendency to go up over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So there's that to consider, too. So, yeah, don't, don't expect to pay, like, 50% of what you're paying now to live just because you're old. Yeah. How often do you have um, the random relative or uncle or friend coming up to you and and offering their thoughts on their own retirement, and then you have to be like, well, actually, does it happen a lot? Pretty often. Yeah. And, and I feel bad, because basically, like, my, my family members, they call me the dream dasher. Oh, That's what I am now. I'm, I'm that person who dashes dreams. But, you know, I'd rather give someone a reality check than have to help them pay for their nursing homes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's you know. true. That's true. 
The Wall Street Journal recently published this, the results of a study from Dan Ariely and Aline Hallsworth, who work for the center, work at the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University. <laughs> Advanced Hindsight. <laughs> Advanced Okay. But basically, I'm going to summarize it very basically. It was basically, they asked people, how much do you, of your pre-retirement income are you going to need in retirement? And most people said 70 to 80%. And then when they asked another group to actually break it out into specific categories, some groups had as much as 130%. Mm. Because basically, as one quote in the article said, working is a very cheap activity. Mm-hmm. Right. And once you stop working, you start right. doing all these things that you've always managed and you wanted to do. And it could end up you spend out much more, at least in that first five to 10 years of retirement. So yeah. the bottom line is you have to figure out what your situation is and what you're really planning to do in retirement before you just rely on sort of a rule of thumb. Right. All right, next myth. Social Security will cover the bills in retirement. It won't. Oh. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> That's all you need to say. No, no, no. And next. <laughs> and, you know, and it's not because Social Security is going away. Let's debunk that, too, while right. we're here for a second. You know, yes, there are talks of future benefits cuts if, you know, things continue to go the way they're going. But generally speaking, no, we will have Social Security down the line. But the thing that a lot of people need to realize is that those benefits – uh, are only designed to replace roughly 40% of the average earner's pre-retirement income. And that means, first of all, that if you are a higher earner, that it will replace even less. So we just talked about the fact that, you know, as a rule of thumb, you want the 70 to 80% replacement target. Social Security, then, if you were an average earner, will maybe cover half of that. So the other half is going to have to come from somewhere, whether it's your retirement savings in an IRA, 401k, maybe you're lucky enough to have a pension, maybe you're going to work, maybe you're going to be a killer landlord and rent out different rooms in your house and take in income that way. And that's all fine. It doesn't have to come from a single source. But just I think the key is to be realistic about what Social Security will and won't pay for. Now, the average benefit this year is $17,000. Right. So Social Security is, is basically poverty protection. Right. It's just enough to keep you out of being homeless and without any food. But it's not enough to pay for the retirement that most people want. Exactly. Number four, owning a home makes more sense than renting in retirement or in otherwise. Re- right. I don't know. Well, I think that's something that's not necessarily true in life and in retirement, You know, for working people and, and in retirement. But here's why I especially... I'm not a fan of owning a home in retirement, and and here's why. For a lot of people, once they retire, they move over to a fixed income, where basically you're living on your Social Security payments and whatever withdrawal you're taking from your IRA or whatever it is. And when you own a home, you introduce a world of variable expenses into your budget, right? You never know when your roof might spring a leak or your air conditioning unit might bust. And so suddenly you've got this mismatch, right, where you've got a fixed income and you've got all of these variable costs. So to me, renting is a safer prospect in retirement. Unless you have a compelling reason to own your home, renting is a safer safer prospect because you're basically, at least for the term of your lease, right, you're locking in a fixed payment. You're saying, okay, this is what I'm committing to month after month and I don't have to worry about surprises. Mm-hmm. You know? But you could, I guess, as as if you as you're entering retirement, sell your home, and then you would have all of that equity that you would then burn through in rent going into retirement, or as through your retirement. Yeah, or? I mean, there's lots of options to play around with. You know, you could obviously you could sell. You know, selling a home prior to retirement is a good way to basically generate a lump sum of cash that you could then, if you invest wisely, you can use it as an ongoing income stream itself. Um, and you know, I wanna I wanna be clear on this one. It isn't to say that owning a home in retirement is 
always a bad idea. It's just not always a good idea, especially in light of recent tax changes. When you think about the tax benefits of owning a home, you know a lot of those are at least right now. They're they're not as strong. They're not as compelling, right? A lot of people aren't going to be itemizing now that the standard deduction is what it is. It's so much higher. So that mortgage interest deduction that's a big tax break that a lot of people aren't going to take anymore. So you lose one very compelling reason right there to own a home in general, and then especially in retirement when it's just a financially you know precarious period in your life. Number five. Our fifth and final myth we're going to debunk today: You can plan on withdrawing four percent of your nest egg annually in retirement. So that's been classically been the convention, right? The four percent rule was invented back in the, or initiated, instituted, whatever we want to call it, back in the mid '90s, and it basically states that if you begin by withdrawing four percent of your nest egg's value during year one of retirement, adjust subsequent withdrawals for inflation, your nest egg should conceivably last you for 30 years. And while I think it's a good Baseline to follow. I don't necessarily think that we should be following it to the letter, and here's why. So back when that rule was established, first of all, we were in a very different interest rate environment when it came to bonds, and now we are not in that sort of environment. So basically, if you have a portfolio that's reasonably loaded with bonds, let's say anywhere from 40 to 60 percent bonds, which is the, rec- the general recommendation, you're not going to be generating the same sort of income from those bonds as you were back then, and that's obviously going to limit the extent to which you can withdraw. That aggressively. The other thing is that the rule makes a lot of assumptions, right? It does assume a fairly even split of stocks and bonds, which not everybody has.、Um, it assumes that you didn't retire on the really early side. People are living longer these days. You know, the Social Security Administration says that I think about 25% of 65-year-olds today will live past 90. So if you retired at 55, which some people are doing, you know, all of a sudden you've got a little bit of a shortfall there if you start withdrawing at 4%. So I would say. Use it as a guideline, but be careful with it. You know. Yeah, that originally came out as you pointed out in a study in the mid '90s from Bill Bengen, and subsequent studies that he came out with, he actually moved it up to 4.5 percent. And he recently moderated a Reddit discussion and said, "I still stand by 4.5 percent," but he recognizes and values the research from other folks from. People like Wade Fow, who says no, it really should be closer to like three percent because,、right. like you said, right, very low interest rates, right, high stock valuations. So, really, the bottom line is choose something that is within that range and be prepared to be flexible because、right. the research, regardless of where you start, the research shows that one of the best things you can do is if the market does go down or you don't get from bonds what you were hoping. You can cut back on your spending during those tough times,、right. and then wait until your portfolio recovers. If you can do that, whether you choose three, three and a half, four, four and a half, is less important than your ability to cut back when the market is down. Right. So、uh, that covers our five myths. So, what are you working on lately? Is there anything readersofool.com should look forward to coming from you soon? Yeah, I think there's a bunch of、uh, cool stuff coming out. But、uh, one of my favorites that I'm working on, and I've actually published something on this in the past, but I'm going to do another one, is、uh, building the case for napping at work and why you sh- why you should absolutely do it. You should absolutely take a nap in the middle of your work. Many many fools will be on board with that research. Excellent. Have you seen our、Google、nap room,、it. by the way? No. Oh, no, it's, wow. It's a very、yeah. busy nap room that、wow. we have here at the Molly Fool. Wow, that's you great. You know, I am actually. So, so I thought no one used the nap room, but someone just the other day was complaining about how they can never get into the nap room because it's always but, occupied. But can I ask you something? Do you really feel comfortable putting your head where someone else might have sleep drooled just like a few moments ago? Depends how tired I am. Yeah, right. I think that's a good. I have never used the nap room. 
Uh, bro, it sounds like you have from time to time. I have. I uh, So I I try to do a little bit of meditation here and there, and the nap room is a good place because it's very quiet. It's very dark, and people know not to bug you if the door is closed. Right. But I try not to lay on the couch. I just sit on the floor. There's a beanbag in there, too. You sit on the floor and curl up and fall asleep? No, and I do my little meditation. I have a little oh. meditation app. Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. right. Oh, sorry. Right, so it's his meditation room. It's his right. inner peace room. Right, and I might have dozed off once or twice, but I totally agree. Not only is the, <laughs> is the couch, there's the same blanket that's been in there for oh, years, and oh. I have no idea when right. the last and, time and that was And does someone cleaned. have ownership of washing that blanket? Probably not. Probably right. Not. So think think about that. It's a tragedy of the commons there in our in our <laughs> nap room. Well, Maury, thank you so much for joining us today. It was wonderful to get to meet you in person after all the emails we shared. Thank you for having. <laughs> I think like, so this so was tender. one of the most fun debunking sessions I've had in a long time. Oh, yeah, well, I we think hope we you'll come back and do it again. Out of those myths, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So too. And I, I, yes. We're we're well. We're also more open to it probably than when your relatives come up to you and you start debunking myths left and right. <laughs> right. So right. we're happy we're all for dream dashing. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, we bought a new house. Congratulations. Thank you. We we bought it and we moved into it and now we're in the process of selling our old house and it's uh, just a horrible experience. But uh, if I can say something about myself, a little bit of bragging, uh, I did a really good job. I'm sure you did. Uh, Don't doubt it at all. And I did a really good job in part because I I got a lot of really great advice from people. Uh, Namely, uh, a a fool gave me a name of a mover who was fantastic. Bookstore movers. If you're in the D.C. area, I highly recommend bookstore movers. They were amazing. Uh, And we got advice from you guys, our listeners. So, David writes, Before you move into the new place, buy a boatload of flat plug extension cords. These are electrical cords whose plugs sit relatively flat against the wall, allowing for bookcases and couches and other large things to be pushed up to them. When you move your stuff, have the cords on hand, plug them in before moving stuff up, stuff up against the wall. Even if you don't plan on using it, just leave it there for when you do. That way, you don't have to move the heavy couch or bookshelf looking for outlets. Well, that is smart. It is smart. And so I bought a bunch of them on Amazon. <laughs> Stephanie writes, only move what you really need. How many towels, plates, blankets, clothes do you really use? Separate out what you use, donate what you don't use a few a few weeks before the move, and then take out the maybes into a separate pile and see if they make their way back into the necessary pile. Number two, don't move yourself if you can. Oh, I agree with that. Mm. <laughs> I always at least partially move myself and then partially regret it. Well, we packed ourselves, but we didn't move ourselves. Uh, so she, she writes, don't move it yourself if you can, which I agree. I'm getting too old and my back is just getting too, like, no. Like, <laughs> Your friends no longer it. work for pizza. Right? My <laughs> friends no longer work for pizza. Uh, number three, Stephanie says, clearly separate items into a box by re- what room and within that. Separate by importance. You don't want to open everything up at once. So pile the most used items of each room into a separate box so you can be up and running in no time. Number four, take time off between moving and going back to work. No moving and then back to the office the next day. Well, I did have to do that. Vanjie writes, buy tape in different colors and patterns and use a different one for um, each room, for the boxes in each room. Pack the things you need immediately in separate boxes and label them so you can find them. Write a summary of what's in each box and then create a spreadsheet that matches your numbered boxes. I know, super organized. Wow. 
Uh, Tina writes, when shopping for a home loan, shop around for the best terms and closing costs for your mortgage. Contact multiple lenders, choose the top two, and then pit them against each other. By doing this, we saved more than 0.1% on our interest rate and thousands on our closing costs. Friends of ours did this in the last few weeks and also reduced their interest rate and saved in closing costs. I also got some advice from from some fools here at the office. So uh, Here's first up, Rob Burnett. My name is Rob Brunette, and I work with Motley Fool Ventures. It's our new venture fund at The Fool. And my first piece of advice is spend the time getting your house ready to sell. It's way more fun looking at houses. You could spend hours and hours having fun with that, but you'll regret intensely not getting your house ready, cleaned out, and looking beautiful for when you put it on the market. And my second piece of advice is with a home inspector, find a tough home inspector when you're ready to buy. Not the one that your agent recommends. Find your own, ask friends, uh, go through other services to find someone who's really tough and is going to do the most thorough inspection you can. It can save you thousands of dollars because if there's something that you want the seller to take care of before, that's your chance. And if there's a showstopper that makes you not want to buy the house, that's your shot. So take the time, find someone who's really tough, and you'll be in great shape. And next up, I also got some advice from Tyler Mary. He's a fool out in our Colorado office. Hey, my name's Tyler Mary. I'm a software developer in the Fullerado office. My advice is to use a service like Redfin or Trelora instead of a full-service realtor. Um, in my experience, the most expensive part of selling a home is all of the fees that go to your real estate agent. And taking on a little bit more of that burden yourself uh, can save you a bunch of money. Oh, and you know what? Mona Shaw literally just sent me a moving piece of advice over Slack at this exact second. She said, moving tip, marry someone who likes packing and labeling and all seriousness purge, ask someone to take care of kids' pets while moving, and then take several days to unpack and organize. And she sent me a picture of their organized boxes. (laughs) Oh my gosh, look at that. All stacked, and it looks like very accurately labeled. It is very accurately labeled. So another thing that we did that I don't know if you can do it in other... Uh, parts of the country, but we put everything that wasn't urgent in cardboard boxes, and then we put everything that was urgently needed into pink our plastic crates that we rented. Oh. And so that way, we knew immediately. All right, these are the things we need now. Flip open the crate, let it explode everywhere, and then then at least you know you're good to go and and return the crates immediately. So that was another thing we did that worked out really well. But anyway, thanks you guys for sending me your moving advice. I really appreciate it. It's like one of the most miserable things in the world, but I think I did it. I think I did it pretty well um, with a little help from my friends. Well, that's the show. I want to thank everyone who wrote in with your moving tips. Uh, you can also send us your questions. We have, always have a mailbag episode around the corner. Our email is answers at fool.com. And you know what? You can also follow us on Twitter and join the Motley Fool Podcast Facebook group. Um, it is a closed group, but just um, ask to be let in and you'll be let in. And then if you say anything mean, you'll be asked out as well. Because um, we're nice people. <laughs> uh, what else do I want to plug? I don't know. Give us a rating on iTunes, huh? Oh, yeah! And give us a rating on iTunes. We sure would appreciate that. A good rating. Say nice things, <laughs> please. Say either nice things or very constructive things. There you go. The show is edited housewarmingly by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>